We're going to read from verses 1 to 12. Excuse me, it's just too low. <laughs> ah, that's better. When the day of Pentecost came, they, that is all the disciples, were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Have you heard the sound of a violent wind? Anyone here ever been in a cyclone or hurricane? Okay. That is the sound of a mighty wind. I've had it described as like a train, the noise of a train rattling past your home. This is what it's saying here. The blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages or tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This was Pentecost. It's one of those pilgrimage festivals of the Jews. So naturally they would have come. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Now that's said in a derogatory sense because Galileans were considered as second-rate Jews. You know, it's much like, much like we would say, well, Tasmanians, are they part of Australia sort of thing? <laughs> then how, verse 8, then how is it that each one of us hears them in his own native tongue? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? I want to ask you a question. How was the early church first established? How was the early church first established? Was it through an act of parliament registering the early church as a constituted body? Was it through a plebiscite asking the populace if they wanted to establish a church in their community? 
Or was it through a group of people who one day said, let's form ourselves into a church? No, no, no. Because it was none of the above. None. The early church was established through a single act of God. When the Holy Spirit came upon the early believers as they were gathered together in the upper room in Jerusalem. It occurred on the Jewish holy day of Pentecost, which is held 50 days after the commencement of the Jewish Passover. And what this means is that the Holy Spirit came in power upon the believers 50 days after the crucifixion and burial of the Lord Jesus. Of course, during these 50 days, so much has happened. During the 50 days from basically the resurrection of Jesus. So much happened. And I've tried to put it up on a timeline here. I apologise if the writing is a bit too small. I just couldn't get it all together. On the fourth day, after the crucifixion of Jesus, which was the first day of the week, which we call Sunday, it was the festival of first fruits. Jesus rose on this day, on the festival of first fruits. And it was on this day, after six o'clock in the morning, that the risen Lord Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other women who had come to the tomb. And what did they find? They found it empty and unguarded. Jesus then appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, as recorded in Luke 24. And later on the same day, the Lord also appeared to the disciples in the upper room as recorded for us in Luke 24 and John 20. And in the days following the resurrection, the Lord appeared on a number of other occasions as recorded in John chapter 20, John chapter 21 and Matthew 28. Even in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 to 7, Paul wrote of the Lord's numerous post resurrection appearances this is what he said for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures now remember Jesus had said that he would rise as in the days of Noah as Noah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. So, according to the scriptures, Jesus rose the third day. It should actually be after the third day, but this is the way that the, uh, the, the language is written. And that he was seen by Cephas, who is Peter, then by the twelve, 
After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. After 40 days, as recorded in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, after 40 days of walking and talking with his disciples, the risen Lord Jesus then ascended into heaven, as recorded in Luke 24. And just prior to his ascension, the Lord Jesus said to his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. As we read in Acts chapter 1, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Of course, 10 days after Jesus said this, on the holy day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended in might and power and anointed the gathered believers. This, this was the moment in which the early church was established by God and the believers had a mandate, a clear mandate and mission from the Lord of what it meant to be the true church of the Lord. In our reading on the holy day of the festival of Pentecost, the believers in Jerusalem were gathered together. Now we assume it was for mutual encouragement and support as they prayerfully waited upon God because Luke recorded for us these words in verse 1. They were all with one accord. They were all gathered with one accord. It was then that the Holy Spirit of God came upon the believers in a most dramatic and powerful way. The experience was both audible and visual. And as we read, there was the sound of a mighty wind that filled the whole house and small tongues of fire that appeared and alighted on each individual. At that, each one was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And they began to speak in other languages with a boldness and a conviction for God. Now let's be clear about one thing. The disciples were not linguists. They were not linguists. They were not students of language. And they were Galileans, second-rate Jews. They were looked down upon. Having said that, as children, the language spoken in their homes was Aramaic. And for commercial dealings with the Roman Empire, many of them have, had learned to speak basic Greek. It's called Koine Greek or Market Greek. And for those who had learned to read and write, 
they also spoke ancient Hebrew. But they had not learned to speak in numerous other languages with any fluency. And yet the pilgrims and visitors to Jerusalem from all over the then known world heard these disciples speak in their own languages and tongues. These second-rate Jews, these Galileans, they spoke Aramaic, they spoke Hebrew, and they spoke Greek. How many here speak more than one language? There were only about half a dozen in the first service. <laughs> How many of you speak three languages? I am in awe of you, you Galileans. <laughs> I am in awe of you. How many of you speak more than five? Oh. <laughs> I met a lady once. She had been with the, the China team. She was an expert in linguistics. It was a natural gift for her. Her hobby, her hobby was to get a dictionary and she would learn the, the dictionary. She had one of those eidetic minds, is that what they call it? Like a photographic memory. But it wasn't just memorising the words. She could memorise the language, the, the grammar constructions as well and the tenses. This lady, this was her hobby. And she knew at least 10 languages. Brilliant, brilliant woman. Oh, I'm in absolute awe of her. These disciples, they knew three languages, but not the languages that they were speaking. This was... It was a profound miracle and it was because God wanted people from all over the world to hear the message of God's love and of God's salvation. And has that changed today? Absolutely not. God still wants all people to hear the word of salvation in their own language. And let's be very clear on another important point. The languages spoken at Pentecost were very different from glossolalia, which is tongues of angels, as described in 1 Corinthians 13. This glossolalia is praying to God in a heavenly tongue and usually is not for public exercise, as affirmed in 1 Corinthians 14. When the disciples spoke... They did so proclaiming the revelation of God in the Lord Jesus Christ and not merely 
for praise and adoration. They were proclaiming a message. And it was through them that the Holy Spirit began the work of being the master builder of the church. People came from all over the then known world, all over, to come to Jerusalem to hear the message of Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, through the proclamations of the disciples, 3,000 people came to faith in the Lord Jesus. Would that we would see that kind of response today. 3,000 people. And as we read in Acts chapter 2, Peter said to the people, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to the church. Truly, when the Lord said that he would build his church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell would not prevail against it, he spoke a truth that endures to this day and will continue long after you and I have passed from this temporal realm. The Holy Spirit of the Lord clearly established the church on the foundation of the revealed word of God. Not by an act of parliament. Not by establishing a written constitution. But the church was established on the revealed word of God. And the Holy Spirit also maintains the church on the basis of the fruit of the Spirit. Together, they define and provide sound governance for the church even today. And as Paul testified in Romans 8, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, remembering the day of Pentecost was 50 days following the feast of first fruits, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Beautiful passage. So, what is this fruit of the Spirit that is like the cement that binds us both to God and to one another? Well, as Paul and James so often remind us, sorry, I should have been clicking before. As Paul and James so often remind us, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's from Galatians 5. Ephesians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, 
righteousness and truth. Philippians 1, your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offence till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ Jesus. And Hebrews 12, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And James 3, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Those are just some of the passages that talk about what the fruit of the Holy Spirit should be in the life of his church. And having said all this, we're also reminded that it is the Holy Spirit who has given gifts to the church. That we may be involved with the Lord in his works of ministry and service. Yes, not only has the Holy Spirit instituted the church and brought us together, not only does he fill us with his fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, all of those things that bind us in unity one with the other, but the Holy Spirit has also given us gifts that we might work for the Lord in holy service. When we were first called by God to experience this wonderful gift of God's love and salvation and grace and mercy and forgiveness, we weren't called to be merely spectators we were called to be participants with the Lord in the work of ministry. And in acknowledging this, we are reminded of what the Apostle Peter urged in 1 Peter 4. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Minister, use that gift that you have been given for the blessing and welfare of one another and in service. Of course, the Apostle Paul also wrote in Romans 11, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Did you know, for those of you who have called on the name of the Lord Jesus and invited him into your life. You have been given gifts of the Spirit. You have. It's not something that comes later. God has already gifted you. Oh, I don't have any gifts of the Spirit. Yes, you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is God's promise. 
What may be the case is that you don't realise that you have them or you don't realise which gifts you have. And so the question has to be, how do I find out my gifts? I've been a believer for X number of years. How do I find out my gifts? Well, there's two ways. One, you ask God in prayer and you wait on him to reveal what that gift is that he's already given you. You don't have to ask him for them. You've already got them. The second way is ask other people in the church around you. Ask them, what do you think my gift is? And they will tell you. But it's one thing understanding what your gift is. you then got to start using it. You've got to step out. You're not going to be perfect to start off with. That's all right. It grows with exercise. It's like riding a bike. Hands up those when they first hopped on a bike, immediately rode perfectly. No one. Ah, oh. yeah, but did you flop and flip as you went along? That always helps. Power assistance from Dad, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Charles. <laughs> yes, none of us can be a Cadell Evans first time we hop on a bike. It takes time. It's practice. And we get stronger and more confident. So it is with the gifts of the Spirit of God. So what are some of these gifts of the Holy Spirit that give the church structure and enable us to be a visible witness and presence in the world. Well, in Romans chapter 12, we read of the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of service, teaching, encouraging. That's an important gift. Giving, leadership, showing mercy. In 1 Corinthians 12, we read of the gifts of wisdom, of words of knowledge, of faith, healing, working of miracles, prophecy again, discerning of spirits, different tongues or languages. Like this lady that I know, she just looks at a dictionary and she learns how to speak a language. The interpretation of tongues or languages. In 1 Corinthians 12, we read of the gifts of apostleship, prophecy again, teaching again, miracles again, healings again, service, administration. In Ephesians 4, we read of the gifts of wisdom, of revelation, and understanding. Brothers and sisters, there is absolutely no confusion. God himself has called forth the church. He has established and built his church. It is his Holy Spirit who has bound us together with the fruit of the Spirit. It is his Holy Spirit has emboldened, equipped and empowered us to be his agents in the work of, the, of ministry through his gifts such that all people 
may come to know him in all his wonder and majesty. And give thanks for the incredible gift of salvation that he's gifted to us in the Lord Jesus. Let me ask you this question. Can mankind build organizations and buildings without the divine empowering and inspiration of God? Yes, absolutely. Mankind builds things all the time, buildings and institutions. But does it last? What mankind builds in, in their own strength will never prosper and endure. In 1918, following the end of the First World War, the nations all got together. It was meant to be the war to end all wars. The nations all got together and they formed a unified organisation called the League of Nations. It was to make sure that war never happened again. There was great acclaim. There was so much hope that finally mankind had learnt their lesson and would never go to war again. You know how long the League of Nations lasted? 20 years. 20 years. What mankind builds in their own strength will never prosper and endure. It will only flourish for a season and then wither and die. But what God builds will last for all eternity because he is both the author and the sustainer of his handiwork. Today, as we worship the Lord, as we give him the highest place in our life, as in the church, for without him we are nothing, merely fluff in the wind. You take God out of the church and it'll wither and die. It'll just blow away. Phew, gone. And there are those who try to take God out of the church. We need to pray for them and stand up against them. But with God, with God, he is building up the church and building up us to be partakers in all that he is doing and fitting us for our eternal habitation with him. That's what God is doing in building his church. On the day of Pentecost, when the people heard the disciples speaking, they marveled and they wondered and they said, whatever could this mean? Little did they realise. If only they could see 2,000 years down the track from what happened just in the streets of Jerusalem that day to 
what is happening all over the world today. You know, when the question is asked, whatever could this mean, the answer is simple. God has not yet finished with mankind. He has a purpose and he has a plan and he invites us to join with him unto its fulfilment. And so today, there are two questions. Will you heed the call of the Lord? Will you listen to God through his word as he's speaking to you and through his spirit as he speaks to you? Will you heed the call of God? Second question, will you take hold of the fruits and gifts of the Holy Spirit and exercise them to the glory and honour of God in his church? Being part of a church is not just being a spectator. It's not just sitting in a chair. It is being actively involved in all that God wants you to be and do. As these words, as these questions remain on the screen just for a moment, let's just bow in prayer and meditate on them and what it means for each one of us. Lord Jesus, you sent your Holy Spirit to embolden and to equip your people. We are your church here at Pathway. We pray that your Holy Spirit will not in any way be hindered or restricted in our life or our witness for you. We pray, Lord, that the fullness of your Spirit will work in our midst such that people from all nations, from all tongues, will come to know you as their Lord and Saviour and experience the love and the grace and the mercy of God Almighty. Have your way in us and may your spirit be released in us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bruce, for bringing God's word to us. If you were to take a flight uh, and go, take off. If you take a flight and go to the northern India in the state of Uttar Pradesh, it's the back. I think the this one is very loud, and you can find the tombstone of Buddha in a place called Kushinaga. And if you take a plane, go to the second largest city in Saudi Arabia called Medina and go to a green tomb, green doom. And there you can find the tombstone of Muhammad. Uh, but you cannot find the burial ground of Jesus Christ after 2,000 years uh, because he is risen. And the spirit lives in us. That's why we have a relationship with God as a risen Christ 
that the institution of the church is not run by man organizing it, but through the Spirit of Christ. So let's rise as we sing this closing hymn, as we raise this song that we sang just now. Uh, this is so sweet to trust in Jesus.
us to trust you more. Help us to abandon ourselves and come under the foot of Jesus Christ and surrender our lives to you. Thank you that you are God who is worthy to be for us to trust, to lay down our lives to serve you. We bless you, Lord. Help us in our walk with you, in our struggles, in our doubts, in our disappointment. Uh, we will not abandon Christ. We will hang on. We will trust you that when we can't trace your hand, we will always trust your heart. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. May the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, His unconditional and the unfailing love of God, and the empowering presence, fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.